0: And uh, enjoy your time. the rest of us, turn to, if you would please, Esther. The book of Esther. And chapter 8. Esther is an Old Testament passage. And this is going to be kind of odd. How many of you have ever been in a sermon where Hitler was on the screen? Yeah, it's a little bit odd. So just stick with me. You'll see I want you to focus more on the end. You know, it's all about the end of the journey. Not necessarily where we start, but it'll be an interesting parallel, especially those who are kind of familiar with the story of Esther and where are we going with all of this. And give me some feedback afterwards. See if you saw the connection and see if it was relevant for you. This is kind of fun. I'm watching the expressions on your face and you're like, it's all twisted up. You're like, how are you going to do this, Pastor? Yeah, watch. You'll see. Uh, How many of you, um, you know, you got your favorite app on your phone. Not flappy birds or fluffy toads or whatever. But like a, you know, a useful, useful app. I've got this flashlight app. You guys use the flashlight app? Yeah, that defines who has bad eyes in the room. Um, I've had to, for just about anything, turn on this flashlight app. And there was a time where uh, a few years ago, I had just gotten one of these smartphones. And I didn't know it had a light on the back. And I took my daughter, my youngest daughter, to a gymnastics class... And we're way up in the balcony, and she's down on the ground. She's like 30 yards away. She's very, And so I'm thinking, you know what? She's kind of doing some cool things. I want to get some video of that. And so I turn on my phone, and I'm like capturing this video. And all of a sudden, these people down on the floor are yelling up towards the balcony, yelling at somebody to knock it off. And they keep yelling. And I'm thinking, you know, what jerk up here is doing something so bad that... Uh, and so finally, someone taps me on the shoulder and says... Uh, You're blinding them with your light. Could you turn it? I'm like, what light? I don't have a light. I had no idea this thing was. Have you seen how bright these lights are? And so, you know, it's amazing what they can do these days. And it really helps. It's very functional. I love it. And so uh, I just want to. And it doesn't take, you know, a a third level Mensa to figure out how to turn this thing on. So that's good for me. And so, you know, you turn this on and and there it is. And it's, it's. uh, Yeah, it's. You know, it's interesting. That was great. You guys did much better in first service because a few people did this, but almost every group, somebody in that group was doing this. It was too much. Right. So, you know, here's an interesting thing, because as we're talking about, you're going to hear this idea of light today. And as a matter of fact, let me give it to you right now that we're going to talk about a cause for celebration. And oh, I don't want to get to that yet. But the idea is it's it's based out of what we're going to read here in in Esther 8. And it's a a great statement that the people celebrated. And they celebrated in the streets. And they were defined by light, joy, gladness, and honor in their celebration. How incredible is that? Have you ever been defined as being someone who emanates light? It gets a little wonky in my world. Okay, You know, somebody starts talking about, oh, I saw all this light coming out of this person. I'm like, you've seen too many movies, okay? Um, But it's interesting because Scripture actually defines us in this way. Now, if we take this, and, and, and this is kind of my assessment, is that that light represents the joy of God in us emanating out. That light represents Christ in us emanating out. And I think sometimes it's easier for us to like handle this, right? Can you see that? Can you guys see that through the paper? Yeah. And and nobody, you know, nobody shut their eyes or or winced or turned their head. I think this is how we celebrate i think this is how we're used to celebrating especially when it comes to maybe losing a little bit of the freshness of the life debt that we owe to christ and that's what this is about you know it's a very subdued celebration have you ever been in a place where the celebration is so loud you know a couple of weeks ago here on wednesday night i wasn't in the parking lot but i heard all about this that uh there was screaming and yelling going on in the parking lot. And so people came from this area, and it's dark outside, and you're thinking, what's, all the, what's going on? So people came running to find out what all the celebration was about. And there's Brad Walter yelling and jumping, up, and then there's a couple other people yelling and jumping up and down. And what had happened is the Giants just won the World Series. And so he's really excited. And so people are like, why are you jumping up? Why are you so... And then then they start jumping up. And And there's just light everywhere and it's starting to irritate some people. You know what I'm saying? Especially if you're not a Giants fan. Especially if you're an A's fan. You know, it's really irritating. I think sometimes we've lost that brilliance. And Thanksgiving is the key. Thanksgiving is is this incredibly powerful connection that we have with God and it truly can determine and shape our lives and that's why we're going where we're going today so let's get into it you're going to get a lot of history today any history people in the, in the room you love history okay some okay good let's let's roll with this now i'm going to ask your forgiveness right out of the gate cuz we're going to talk about the story of Esther I obviously have no ability to give you the entire story of Esther uh, during one sermon. So what we're doing is we're going to the end. Let's go there now. Esther chapter 8. And we're going to look at the result of all that happened. We want to focus on this result starting in verse 15. It says this. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white. With a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews. A feast and a holiday. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. That last statement's a little odd, but the reality was this is that there were rumors that the Jews were going to get killed. All of them annihilated, much like we know of in World War II. And so people had started trying to hide that they were Jewish. Does that sound familiar to World War II? They started hiding that fact. What happened as a result of what you're going to hear in this story, an abbreviated synopsis, is not only did the Jews all come out rejoicing, there were people from Persia that converted to Judaism. That's how incredible a light of celebration that was going on in the streets. That's powerful, isn't it? And this is the power of thanksgiving. It's all connected to celebration. So you see the end of the story here. In in a little bit, we're going to break down what that story was like and who the characters were in the story and how that's relevant to what we're looking at today. But let's start with some things we can relate to and... And something out of our own history that factors in in a lot of similarities to this story out of Esther. Let's start with the cause for celebration. Number one, does anybody know what V-Day is? Alright, we've got one, two, three. Okay, a lot of the younger generation might not know. Victory Day. Victory Day was May 7th, 1945. This is when the German forces surrendered. Hitler actually was, was killed a, a few days before, but this is when the official surrender was, folks, this was incredible worldwide. We had some people in first service that were alive during that time. I know none of you were, okay? But there were some people during first service that were alive during that time, and they remember, in the UK, in Trafalgar Square, they figured that there was over one million people that came out to celebrate. They didn't celebrate in their homes. They didn't contain it. They went out into the streets. What's it sound like? Sounds like what we just heard. I mean, we're talking this was a time where a sailor could just dip a nurse in the middle of Times Square and and lay one on her lips and not suffer any consequences. Uh, It still happens. But anyway. V-Day is kind of our history. We can kind of connect with this idea of celebration. In Los Angeles, in New York, all around the world, all over Europe, all over. People came out and celebrated. We haven't had a celebration like that worldwide since. Next, the 14th day of Adar. Does anybody know when Adar is? Or Adar? It is our, our month of March. It's the Jewish calendar and it is our month of March. Now this is an interesting celebration. It is the actual celebration we're reading about today. It's called Purim. And you'll hear what the definition of Purim here in a moment. I had the privilege of being over in Israel the very first time I, I was able to be there. I was at the Western Wall by myself at night, and all of a sudden I start hearing this noise, this cavalcade coming from a distance. And it wasn't just one direction. It was coming through the tunnels of the souk. It was coming from the right side of the gate. It was coming from uh, all over. And in marches, in simultaneous fashion, just hundreds of people in costumes and loud noises and trumpets. And I'm like, what is this? It was the celebration of Purim. And they were all gathering together to the Western Wall to give what? To give thanks. To give thanks. And you'll hear in a moment, well actually you heard in the opening this morning, uh, as Rachel read, that as a result of God saving the Jewish people through Esther and through Mordecai, it was determined that they would set aside two days in this month, the 14th and actually the 15th as well, to celebrate Purim. And why do they call it Purim? You'll hear a little bit further down in the story that the gentleman who was conspiring to kill all the Jews in Persia cast lots to determine what day he would submit a proposal to trick the king into executing all the Jews. Those lots were called Pur. And so the Jewish mindset is such that they looked at the determinative hand of God moving to give enough time the debt, it landed on a day that they could Mordecai could work with Esther. Esther had the time that she could work out the details of, of, of exposing this conspiracy and this plan of Haman. You say Purim to a practicing Jew, it means something. It is like Thanksgiving. What do we have? Well, the fourth Thursday of this month coming up this Thursday. Hopefully you're all aware, but it is Thanksgiving, right? And you guys will celebrate and you'll dress up in costumes and you'll blow home. No, you will probably won't do all that. But you could. And what you're going to see by the end of today's message is the similarities to what we do in Thanksgiving and what has been dictated out of Scripture. You'll see it in Scripture that the practices, the four to five practices that happen for the Jewish people under Purim. There's incredible similarities. Because the practice and the extension of Thanksgiving... Looks a certain way. There's one more holiday I would be remiss if I didn't mention, and I just want you to be sure that you're aware that it's coming up. That's right. The fourth Friday, which follows the fourth Thursday, it's Black Friday. This is the holiday of Satan. Avoid it at all costs. Please stay home. Don't involve yourself in any of that. A life debt. A life debt. Now this is what I want you to walk away with today. What are we thankful for? We should be thankful for a life debt. Now, the life debt is defined here. And uh, this is your good old Wikipedia definition. A life debt is a literary phenomenon in which someone whose life is saved or spared by another becomes indebted or in some way connected to their Savior. Okay, we get that part, right? That, That part's pretty easy to understand. Now here's the secularization or the complete understanding of it as most of the world would see it. A life debt can only be paid off by saving the original Savior's life in return. That should say life, not life. I always put up one mistake just to see if you catch it. Now with our life debt, we have a life debt to Christ, do we not? He is our Savior. But here's where our life debt is differentiated between this one. We can never pay back that life debt. But I want you to think as we now move through these three different celebrations. The V-Day celebration being free from the tyranny of Nazi Germany. The Day of Purim, free from the tyranny of Haman. And then the Hallelujah part where we focus on Thanksgiving. You being free from the effects of sin and death. That a life debt is involved in each one of these dispensations or time periods. Let's look at it. There was a cause for celebration around the world on V-Day. Number one, it's estimated that 11 million people were killed during the Holocaust and 6 million of these were Jews. The Nazis killed approximately two-thirds of all Jews living in Europe. An estimated 1.1 million children were murdered in the Holocaust. Have you ever wondered if Or why? Why didn't God provide somebody to change Hitler's mind? Because I'll tell you, if you go to Western Europe, the ones who lived through the Blitz, the ones who lived through the invasions, those are post-Christian societies. And I remember the day I wrote in a, one of those lolly cabs in London and the cabbie had lived through the blitz. And that's a, that's a pretty cool moment to talk to somebody who's been part of history like that. And I started to understand why Western Europe is a post-Christian society. Because they looked at the horrific things that were happening in spite of all of their prayers and they said, where is God Have you ever wondered? I mean, let's just be honest about it. Why didn't God interfere? Maybe He did. And the person that He had put into position never acted. They never took the time. They never sought the courage to speak up, to do what they needed to do and and hold that thought based off of where we're going. Because the answer for my friend the cabbie is in Esther. But the incredible similar story is happening and unfolding and yet something miraculous did happen. And we'll look at that. So this, a cause for celebration around the world, when you find someone, when someone comes and stops this kind of hideous killing, you celebrate. You celebrate. You have a life debt, don't you? You have a life debt. Well, there was a picture of celebration that happened because of the end of World War II. And it was for Europe, Russia, and the Jews. The death of Hitler meant peace for Europe, didn't it? And the whole changeover started to happen and happened quickly. And life changed for individuals, for countries, for civilizations. There were parades. Monuments were erected and people feasted. What's that sound like? Macy's Day parade? Thanksgiving? Friday? All of that? Great speeches were made. Churchill. Our president. War heroes. This all is reflective of exactly what we're going to hear out of the book of Esther. The similarities are striking. So what happened? No more Hitler. Let's see that one more time. I just want to see if we can do that. Yeah, no more Hitler. That was fun. No more Hitler. And because of that, incredible thanks was given. So how, why use that? Why, why go down that path? Because it's very relative and I think we can connect that idea and take that tension of if there was somebody that could have intervened for the millions that were killed, why didn't God put that person into place? We have that story. And as a matter of fact, Hitler was familiar with this story. It's a little bit of history that you might not be aware of. So let's get into it. Now we're moving into Haman. And, and in a moment, I'll explain all the characters that are in this story, but we'll do it quickly. There was a cause for celebration in Susa. Does anybody know where Susa is? Modern day... Uh, wow, that guy's smart. But he's also Arab, so he wouldn't know. And So you only get half a point, Samuel. All right. Very well done. In a, it's in modern day Iran. And, and Or Iran. Sorry, I said that with a Western, Western slang. Um, as we look at it, We had the blessing of going over to a missions trip to Birmingham two years ago. Some of the men in the church. And then we went through London on our way back. And we went to the British Museum. What you see up in that left-hand corner is a relief that is from the Ziggurat Temple in Persia. That is King Xerxes, right there. Now, many of you are probably more familiar, maybe not us in the room, but some of us in the room that were big 300 fans. You can relate, and that was King Xerxes. And so now you're kind of like, well, wait a minute. This is King Ahasuerus. They all had different names, folks. Remember Daniel, right? He had a different name. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were the Persian names for, uh, I'm not even going to try. And so you have the same situation here with King Xerxes. His name in the scriptures, he was known as King Ahasuerus. All right? Real guy. And the ziggurat at Susa, if you look in the, in the history of the book of Esther, you see this is exactly where we are. You go back several decades and the people are in Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar comes down. It's, uh, it's judgment on the people of Israel, on the people of Judah. And he takes them captive. And he takes them back all the way over to Babylonia. And that's where you have the story of Daniel. You have the story of Shadrach and Meshach. And now you're down about three generations now you've gone through Cyrus, you've gone through Darius, and now you're at Xerxes. And after Xerxes, you have Artaxerxes. And the Persian Empire, and the, the empire of the Medes and Persians is expanding. It's blowing up. And so you have Haman, by the way, that's not an exact likeness. We don't know exactly what, I just wanted to clarify that. But uh, this right here, this temple, this is an archaeological, this is true. This is reality. This happened. So this is the kingdom of persia at the time of this story it's huge it's immense and if you take that story of of 300 it's a factual story some of it not the movie but the battle of theophilus all right i'm probably not saying that right but it was up in this area in greece and that's as far as xerxes got and then eventually he was defeated that that empire was defeated by a great greek warrior named Dwight. Yes, that's right. Dwight. Some guy named... No. Alexander. Alright, you guys are doing great. Stay with it. Okay, stay, stay focused. So we're talking about Haman, and Haman is kind of like the vizier for, for Xerxes. He's like the right-hand man for Xerxes, and he was power-hungry. And so let me introduce the rest of the characters. First of all, remember this statement that's out of verse uh, 16... In chapter 8, the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. There was celebration in the city of Susa. And interestingly enough, this is after, for those of you that are, you know, your Bible historians, this is after the Jews have returned to Jerusalem with Ezra and Nehemiah, and they're establishing the temple, they're putting up the walls. Were you aware that there were those Jews that decided to stay back? They kind of liked it where they were living. And you've got to wonder, once this started to happen, were they regretting not returning back to their homeland? So that gives you a little bit of context. Let's look at the players here. King Ahasuerus, this is what you kind of know, what I kind of know as King Xerxes of Persia. Mean guy. Uh, there is a relief uh, in the British Museum of a gate that was at the uh, citadel, the ziggurat at Susa, that were uh, huge gates, 35 feet high. And some of the most macabre work you could ever see. I don't don't even know how to describe it as as far as an artifact, whatever it would be. Xerxes was such a merciless, such a, a, a tyrannical leader that there was a point in time where one of the commanders in his army, he felt threatened by. He thought this commander was going to betray him. So he took that commander and his whole garrison He had gates built 35 feet high that would hold that entire garrison, put them in the garrison, and covered them with molten bronze. And that was what you saw when you walked into the ziggurat. Now you get a picture, some context of who this king is. He wouldn't bat an eyelash to kill hundreds or thousands. Esther Esther's Hebrew name is Hadassah Esther is her Persian name she's the cousin of Mordecai you're going to hear about Mordecai in a minute and and Esther was beautiful and so she was taken in into the king's harem and because of her beauty and because of the hand of God working Esther found herself in a precarious and perfect situation of being selected as queen by Xerxes for a time for a period. This put her in position to have the ear of the king and to expose this evil plot of Haman. Now her coach was Mordecai. Mordecai was her cousin. Esther was, a, uh, was an orphan and uh, she was raised by Mordecai. Mordecai was a wise gentleman. He sat at the city gates. He was uh, very integrated into the society. Uh, he may have even acted as an elder within that society. He would have been somebody to contend with with uh with haman and the way that the story rolls give you a little extra because i can in second service haman is going through and he's trying to set himself up like a god king xerxes was very much into that whole god king thing and so haman's trying to follow in that pattern and he's going through the city and he desires for everyone to bow down to him mordecai will not bow down to him that's a real quick way to get an instant enemy in persia So this is where the plot is hatched. This is where the bitterness sets in and sets Haman on this directive of I'm going to destroy Mordecai's people because I hate him so much. He disrespected me. Isn't it amazing how hatred can drive people? So Mordecai is a key person. He in fact is the architect of this plan to free all the Jews from annihilation. That's how key he is. By the way, when you read the verse in in, in 15 and 16 in chapter 8, does it even mention Esther? It doesn't even mention Esther. That Mordecai was the one that was exalted and was raised and was covered with uh, uh, royal robes and he was made second in command in the entire kingdom. It was fascinating. Fascinating stuff. So sometimes I think we look at the story of Esther and we exalt Esther, which is great. That's fantastic. But Esther never would have moved on what needed to happen had Mordecai not been pushing her. And saying, you were, you were put into this place for such a time as this. You have to act on this. You have to expose Haman. So who's Haman? Haman was his counsel to Xerxes or Ahaz, whoever. Um, and he hated the Jews. And you heard why. And he planned on killing the Jews in Persia by tricking Xerxes. He was going to get Xerxes distracted. He was going to get him drunk. Xerxes was a huge drinker. And the plot was to then submit an edict before the king and not really clarify. You know, governments never change, do they? Not really clarify what's in the paperwork. You know, let's pass, the, let's pass it before, and then we can know what's in Anyway, moving on. And uh, so that was Haman's plot. That was his plan. And hidden within this language was, we're going to kill all the Jews because they're against you. Once the king put his signet stamp on that edict, he would never change it. He would never change it. And so Haman was plotting, he was conspiring, he was planning. So I give you that much of the story, but we're just going to focus on the end. It's a picture of celebration. Why? What happened? Well, Esther intercedes. And Esther exposes Haman. And the king had such a love and desire for Esther that everything that was supposed to happen to the Jews happened to who? Haman. Now, I alluded to the fact earlier, why the comparison with Hitler and Haman? Well, obviously the persecution of the Jews, right? One was eventually stopped, but not until the Jews suffered great, great, devastating... um, Loss. The other was completely averted. Here's the fascinating thing Hitler knew this story. As accounted by, and I don't remember what country, but early on, 39 or 40, whether it was Poland, whether it was Hungary, Czechoslovakia, one of those countries, when he got there, he hung 10 Jewish priests, 10 rabbis. The reason? When Haman was exposed, not only did Haman hang, which was what Haman was going to do to Mordecai, but the king hung Haman's ten sons as well. And Hitler, by a determinative proclamation, was making a point I will not be stopped. You will not stop me. And I'll let you, I'll suck the life and hope right out of you, Jews when you watch what I do here. It was a shot across the bow in context of this whole idea of perim. So, when the Jews are spared their lives because of the actions of two people, what did they do? They celebrated. They hit the streets. Just like V-Day. Can you see it? I hope so, because we, we brought it out. They came out and there was light, there was joy, there was gladness. They rejoiced, they feasted. What what does that sound like? We're getting real close to it coming up in in a few days. There was exchange. So so they set up this determinative uh, uh, holiday called Purim. And I, I shared with you where they got that word. But this is how they practiced Purim. And you've got it in your sermon notes as well. Number one, they exchanged reciprocal gifts of food and drink. When you sit down Thursday, somebody at the table say, shall we exchange reciprocal gifts of food and drink? Amen. All right. Donating to charity or to the poor. How many of us have ever participated in a Thanksgiving dinner early in the morning on Thursday? Where we went out and we did something for the poor. I dare say we adopted that process from Purim. Isn't that fascinating? Eating a celebratory meal. Well, we get that. That's not hard. We'll do that multiple times this week. We actually did it Thursday night, right? That was great. That was fantastic. And then public uh, recitations. Have you ever gone somewhere where there was a Thanksgiving parade? Used to be in our country, when you went to a Thanksgiving parade, there was a proclamation given. Whether it was in small towns or whether it was a pancake breakfast on, on Thanksgiving Day. Right now, and, and Hanny shared it with me, there's a new, net, new news network and they're doing a public proclamation like that as a commercial, um, talking about the benefits of Thanksgiving and where it stemmed from and where it came from. And, uh, and Hanny found it incredibly moving. We used to do this. We used to do this. So maybe contemplate that this Thursday. Go down to Toto Santos Park, stand there on the grandstand and make a public pro. No, don't, don't. People might not stop and listen. But maybe at your dinner table, maybe think about having a a recitation there of thanksgiving. A proclamation about a life debt that we owe. The people felt a life debt to Mordecai for saving them from Haman. And so they were committed to honoring Mordecai all of his days. We get that part, right? We understand that. We can connect with that. Well, let's talk about us. A cause for celebration in Concord. We've talked about Hitler. We've talked about Haman. We've seen this persecution of the Jews. We've seen God intercede over here. And by the way, we really truly believe that God did intercede during World War II. Um, I, I, I don't recommend movies. I just know that there's a movie, a movie coming out called Enigma um, with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. And it's about World War II. It's about the Enigma machines. And I saw an interview with him where they figure 14 million people that are alive today owe their lives to that one man. Because he was able to magnificently figure out how to crack the Enigma machine and decode the, the Germans' communications. And because of that, they figured that they cut the war short by two years. And so they calculated that out. They extrapolated it just from the figures and figure 14 million people on this earth today. Do you start to understand the life debt concept that we're talking about? You know, here's the thing. We have a cause for celebration in Concord. Isn't that great? We get to have a celebration too. We're not left out. And so that that's, leads us on to say hallelujah. By the way, let me tell you what hallelujah means. Hallelujah is it's a combination of two... Uh, Hebrew words, or transliteration of of, of those words, um, one being halal, which means to praise, and jah, meaning, or yah, meaning God. Alright, so it just simply means, praise God. Praise God. And so, when you say hallelujah, you're praising God. And I know that's kind of foreign for us, I mean, we, that almost seems like we're speaking Greek or something, or Hebrew, and we're not used to that. We're probably more comfortable with just saying, praise God, you know, I hear that a lot more than I hear hallelujah. And when I said that last a service, um, our sound booth guy yelled hallelujah, and then I said amen back instead of hallelujah. See, it just proved the point. So, Brian, if you want to say hallelujah, feel free. Okay, he said no. He raised his hand, though. So that's kind of an expression of hallelujah. There you go. 126,000 people in our city who share a life debt to Christ. Or or more, actually. Now, how's that factor in? If I was sitting where you're sitting, I'd be saying, well, Pastor Jared, how... How does that work? Because not everybody believes in Jesus. Not everybody has experienced salvation. Wouldn't the ones that experience by the definition of a life debt, wouldn't the ones who experience that salvation, that's what a life debt is. You know, last week we we led with one verse. uh, An obscure, really uh, unknown verse named John 3.16 where it says, For God so loved a third of the world, or it said, God so loved just those who eat turkey. You know, on and on. I, I could just keep going, right? No, it says the whole world that He gave His only Son. So, He gave His Son the work of Christ on the cross. Salvation is there for all men. Now, how we reciprocate to that life debt is our statement of faith and devotion to Him. So what do we do with all that? How do we say praise God about that? How do we look at the issue of being spared certain death in our own life? Let's look at a couple of these things. Number one, some are aware and we celebrate. I hope that's part of your celebration on Thursday. That as we look at what happened on V-Day, and and they celebrated because they knew lives were now going to be spared. Peace was entering into their lives. They were freed from from the inevitable death that was coming. Can you relate to that spiritually? When you look back as to how the Jews celebrated in the streets of Susa and all throughout Persia, when they think about the the merciless, tyrannical hand of Xerxes, and being tricked by Haman, and how close they were to losing all their lives. Do you think they celebrated? So this Thursday, will you say hallelujah? today do you say hallelujah and every day because some of us are aware and through our response of faith towards that life debt we've received liberation amen hallelujah you're getting there some are unaware and destined to eternal death at the hands of sin and satan you know it was fascinating I read some things this past week in studying for this that that when this when the eventual surrender happened the German soldiers helped our soldiers find what they needed to find they were courteous they invited them into their homes they fed them the citizens who at one moment were against them it was incredible just because of a declaration a pivotal point a one-time Pivotal point. It changed the complete interactions. That's what salvation is, isn't it? That you're unaware at one moment. You're an enemy of God's at one moment. But through one pivotal point on the cross, when you become aware of that, when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and you say, yes! I want to be liberated. I want to be free from sin and death. And Christ comes in. You're no longer enemy. You're at peace. Some are aware and need to share the great news of liberation. My friends, that's us. You have a unique opportunity this week. Remember the light. Right? Is your light going to be diminished? Is it going to be like this? Or is it going to be noticeable? Noticeable. It's not a bad thing if it's Christ that's emanating from you, the essence, the aroma of Christ, as Paul puts it, that people, you know, kind of do this a little bit. It's actually a good thing. I heard on the radio today about an individual that came to a pastor. And he said, I had a friend who was an atheist and the atheist finally came to me and said, I can't be around you anymore. I can't hang out with you. And the friend said, "Why? What's the problem?" He says, "I just can't be around you because of Jesus Christ. I hate Jesus Christ, and that's all I see when I see you." And and, and he's disturbed by it. And the pastor said, "I wish somebody would say that about me." That's one of the best compliments you can... Now, I I understand, you know, you you don't want someone to feel that way, but folks, that's the reality, right? Read John 15. They will hate you because they hated me. To have people go, oh, like this a little bit because of who you are. Now, not being abrasive, right? Don't be a jerk. Jerks for Jesus. No, don't be those guys. But be that light. Remember, the Jews took to the streets because they were liberated. They had a life debt. And they were described as those who were downtrodden and frustrated and just, you know, like Eeyore. No, it said there was light. There was gladness. There was joy. And there was honor. My friends, we don't know those things very much anymore today. Because as a nation, we haven't tasted that. But as individuals... Believers in Jesus Christ? Come on. Get the paper out from underneath that light. Are you thinking the verse I'm thinking? Matthew 7? Let your light so shine among men so that they might give glory to your Father who is in heaven. First service didn't get that. I told you, I like you guys a lot better. I'm having fun with this. There's a picture of celebration for you and I, for the Jews and the Greeks and conquered. By the way, well, you're like, well, I'm not Jewish and I'm not Greek, so, you know, I'm out of luck. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a statement. And it means it's all-inclusive. Remember I told you about John 3, 16, right? The world? That when this statement says, it's reiterated over and over, and it either says this in the New Testament under these terms, Jews or Greeks, or it will say Jews and Gentiles. And it's the same thing. It's either your are you're, those, you're the nation of Israel. You're the Jews that Christ and God had made a covenant with and that He died for. Or everybody else. That's, how, that's what they're saying. So Christ died for the whole world. For the entire world. Let's look at what that looks like. Thursday will be a time for feasts and thankfulness, won't it? So, Hallelujah. Will you be saying hallelujah at your table or will you just be shoving cranberry sauce down your throat? You have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to be that light. Thursday will be a time for recitations at the table. Have you ever done this? Have you ever paused before you start shoving the turkey leg into your mandible And taking the time, and usually it's in the form of maybe a family prayer, right? Like that's that's as far as we're going to get. But maybe some of you do some readings. And maybe some of you, and, and maybe that would be a good thing for us. Maybe pausing for just a bit of time to give praise to God, to give the hallelujah. To let that thanksgiving emanate. We're in a society that wants to say, oh, it's implied. We're an implied society, aren't we? Folks, the more things are implied, the more people lose track of it and get confused. Let's celebrate Thanksgiving by saying hallelujah. Thursday will be a time for reaching out. I've loved how this church goes out of their way to reach out to people that don't have a place for Thanksgiving. If you don't have a place or a family for Thanksgiving, you better come talk to me. If I find out about it a month from now, I'll kick you out of this church. I'll kick you out. You'll you'll be gone. Because our church will reach out And you will have an incredibly wonderful day So please let us know I've had first time Visitors walk through the door And they got invited by another family For Thanksgiving Because they came on this Sunday It's reaching out It's reaching out Thursday will be a time for giving Now maybe not like gifts Um you would wrap up you know pastor you're about 32 days early on that one but giving in the sense of again remember the preparation for the meal or maybe you're the guy that carves the turkey or maybe you prepared the house or or maybe you're going to come to the turkey bowl and you're going to let me score a touchdown thank you very much i highly recommend that but maybe on, on a serious level maybe you're going to reach out in the morning and you're going to do something for somebody and you're going to give and you give why Out of a sense of thanksgiving. Why? Because we have a life debt. Why? Because that light shines from us. Because we understand with great anticipation and great sincerity. What was given to us. Freedom. Liberation from sin and death. And that promotes thanksgiving. I'm going to leave you with two thoughts here. Number one. We owe a life debt to Christ that can never be repaid. Save for our faith and devotion to Him. Hallelujah. Secondly, thankfulness brings light and joy and gladness and honor into one's life. Commit to a steady diet of thankfulness and it will change your life. Remember the video we saw today. Take those things that are burdens in your life and ask the Lord to give you a thankful perspective in the midst of it. And watch what happens. You will experience freedom. And there will be light that will come from you. And gladness and joy and honor. God bless you on this Thanksgiving. Don't just listen to this. Do something with it. Okay? Because it's really good stuff. Do something with it this week. Those under the age of 30. Everything I read about you is that you're done with talking. You're done with listening. You love to do. You love to prove. So do it. And those that are over the age of 30, learn from the ones under the age of 30. All right, let me close in prayer and dismiss you. God bless you guys. Love you guys. And We're glad you're here. And I'm glad. Come out Thursday morning. You don't have to play football. If you've ever been to our turkey bowl, most of us just flop on the ground. And and roll around a little bit. And that's it. And uh, it's more about just being out in the brisk weather. With a nice Starbucks or hot cocoa. And sharing. And saying how we're thankful for things. It's just fun to spend an hour and a half with each other. So. all right, let me pray for you. God bless these people Lord. Let them say hallelujah with their lives. Let them know the life debt. That they don't have to repay. Is something that we can respond to in faith and devotion. And let us rejoice and be thankful and share that thanks with those around us. Because of the richness of the gift that You've given us. To Your glory, Father. Amen.